Well, good morning. Morning. morning over there. Love it. Merry belated Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and it is good to see you here this morning. Um, here's what I want you to do real quick. Take like 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you, even if you don't know them, it's okay. Just tell them real quick what the best part of Christmas was for you. you got about 30 seconds. Go. All right, and five, four, three, two, one, stop being joyful. There we go. One of my favorite things is this. I have three teenagers, which means I didn't get up till like nine o'clock on Christmas morning. Yeah. And if you're here in the fight with little ones, you're going to get there one day. All right? Keep, keep plugging along. I had a great Christmas, had a wonderful time with, with my family. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who actually, the last couple of years, collects kind of weird, crazy socks. It's kind of my thing. And I uh, got a pretty sweet gift that reminds me of my grandmother. Love my grandmother. Uh, my, I have a great relationship with each of my grandparents. But my, my grandmother loved to watch two things at, towards the end of her life. Uh, one was the Golden Girls, and one was the O.J. Simpson trial. And uh, somebody, a good friend of mine, bought me some socks that uh, honored that. And so today I'm wearing one of those socks. You have to figure out which one it is. Is he wearing Golden Girl socks or O.J. Simpson socks? It's kind of weird. Um, love my grandmother. And uh, the reason I share that, I, I, my wife and I were just talking the other day. Um, wonderful memories with my grandparents that I am blessed with. Wonderful memories of holidays with them, memories with them, vacations with them. I just felt very blessed to grow up in a home where I had good, loving relationships with grandparents that loved the Lord. And it just seems like yesterday when, when I was the little one running up to them and marking up their Sears catalog and uh, stealing cookies from their shelf and giving them hugs and kisses, and now here I am watching my parents with their grandchildren. And the days, they seem to go by quickly, don't they? I think of Psalm 90 when Moses tells us this in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It, it, Moses understood something I think we don't always grasp, and it's this. Our days are not infinite. They're not going to go on forever. And Moses understood that very early on, that I need to value each day as a gift from God, and how can I use it to honor and glorify God? For many years, the two most important books that I carried around in my life were my Bible and my pocket calendar. I used to run with a day planner, and I would mark everything down. A couple of years ago, I switched to a online calendar. It was a hard transition for me. I like to see it. And, and so I'm guessing if you're like most families, you probably have some sort of calendar, whether it's an online calendar, a big giant family calendar on the fridge, or a, a day planner, or maybe some combination of all of them. Very early on, I learned that I needed to write things down so I knew where I needed to be and when I needed to be there, and so I wouldn't uh, get in trouble or be in the wrong place at the wrong time. When I was a youth pastor for many years, I would talk to students who were getting ready to go off to college, and they would talk to me about what do they need to know about heading into college. And we would talk about things about God and how to put God in the center. But then when we switched to some practical things apart from God of just day-to-day, -day, like, hey, how do I navigate college? I would always tell graduating seniors the same thing. Get a calendar. 
whether you use it on your phone, whether you use it on, on a paper, right? get a calendar. Learn to write things down. Learn to balance your life early on so that it will save you later in life. Now, I, I've known through the years a couple different types of people. Maybe you know that kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants person. Maybe you are that person, the person who never knows where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, like, oh, man, I was supposed to be there like six hours ago. Oops. Maybe you're that guy or that girl. I don't know. I, I ran into some of them. They, they can be maddening for me. But I've also met, met, met those people I call the six-minute people. Those are the people whose schedules are so packed tight when you're like, hey, do you got a minute? They're like, yeah, but I, I, I got I to gotta go, so make it quick, right? I mean, it, it, they're so packed tight that they just got a couple of minutes. As you're trying to talk to them, what you realize quickly is they're not even listening to you. All they're thinking about is, I got to get to my next thing. Maybe you're that type of person, and your schedule is so packed, so jammed tight, you don't have time to be flexible for the things that God has in store. I learned very early on I needed to write it down, and even though I've gone to a calendar on my phone, I do this every week. I print up a weekly calendar of every day-by-day breakdown, where I need to be, what I need to be doing, things that are going on at work, things that are going on in people's lives, things that are going on in my family's lives, because if I don't, I will forget them, I will miss things, and I need to make sure I'm operating in a way that's honoring to God and to my family. Over the past few weeks, we've been celebrating Christmas and the Advent season and talking about hope, hope in the waiting, hope in the silence, hope in the unexpected, hope for all people. And we said our hope is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I want to this morning as we get ready, as, as Britt said earlier, we're turning to 2020, new year, new decade. What does it have in store? I want us to think about how we can let God have our calendars and let him shape and lead our daily decisions in 2020. As we close out the Christmas season this week, as we think about Luke chapter 2, I want us to look at this morning two individuals in the Christmas narrative that we don't often think about when it comes to the kind of Christmas story. We think of Mary and Joseph and the baby and the angels and the shepherds and the magi, but there's two people who I really enjoy looking at that I want to look at this morning, and I want us to think about our calendaring and how we think about shaping our day-to-day activities, and those two individuals are Simeon and Anna. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're in Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the chairs around you, or you can use your phone or your uh, tablet. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And this morning, we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and let me just kind of set, set what's going on. In Luke chapter 2, the baby Jesus is born, the shepherds come to see Mary and the baby and Joseph, and they celebrate and they leave. And in Luke 2, 21, we're picking up right after the shepherds have left. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons... Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit of the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father's mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through, his own soul, through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's kind of set up what's going on here. Eight days after Jesus is born... uh, Mary and Joseph, who are our good God-fearing parents and, and want to keep uh, Old Testament Levitical laws, we would call it, uh, have him circumcised, and they name him Jesus, just like the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, just like the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 to name him Jesus. Now we fast forward about 40 days, and it's time for the uh, time of purification, per, again, Levitical law. So if you want to read Leviticus 12, it would give you the backdrop of all this for these new parents. And so... Per Levitical law, Mary and Joseph were to head to the temple in Jerusalem, and they were to make a sacrifice and to uh, celebrate the birth of their child and to celebrate the time of purification for Mary. And what she was supposed to do 40 days after the birth of a male was bring up a lamb to have the lamb sacrificed, unless she was too poor to afford a lamb, in which case she was to bring two birds and have them sacrificed. Now we see the, the humbleness of, of Mary and Joseph and the humbleness in which Jesus is born is they don't have the money to afford a lamb. And, and I would argue that, with, that that's why the Magi really weren't there the night that he was born, but show up a little bit later because they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. And Mary and Joseph would have had money for the lamb, but they don't. They're just a poor family. And so they, they go and they buy these two doves to bring to the temple and to give these as a sacrifice to the Lord. And it's here that were encountered with Simeon and Anna. As we look at Simeon and Anna, I want to think about a couple of questions. And here's our first question. How will I let God lead my calendar in 2020? So we don't really know anything about Simeon other than these verses. He shows up and he disappears. We don't know what his favorite food was. We don't know how many children he had. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know if he was rich or poor, what his favorite team was, what his favorite color. We really don't know much about him. Other than Luke gives us a couple of indicators about his life that he wants us to know about him as a person. Look at verse 25. Simeon is called a righteous man and a devout man. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? It means Simeon is looking toward the day when God would restore Israel through the Messiah. He's longing for that day. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's longing for God's kingdom. And we're told in verse 26 and 27, he's letting the Holy Spirit guide him. And today, he's guiding him to the temple. 
Now, Simeon has been given a promise in verse 26. And I think it's probably one of the neater promises in the Bible. At some point, at some time, Simeon is told, you're not going to die until you see God's redemption, until you see the Messiah. That's a pretty sweet deal if you think about it. You wake up in the morning with anticipation, is today the day that I'm going to see God's redemption? Because I know I'm going to see him before I die. On the other side, I, I think it gives some security when it's time to go to bed. I put my head on my pillow. I haven't seen God's redemption yet. I, I guess I will see you tomorrow. God's not taking me in the middle of the night because I haven't seen him yet. And so here is Simeon. He knows that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit guides him to the right place at the right time, prompts him to go to the temple on that day where he has this not-so-chance encounter, but one arranged by God. And here's what I wonder now. I wonder how God moved him to get up there. I wonder what Simeon had planned that day before God intervened. Did a friend encourage him to go to temple? Did his wife? Did he have to cancel lunch plans? Did he have to cancel a golf date? You know, what, what was going on in Simeon's day that he said no to in order to say yes to what God had in store. And as I wonder this question, I don't ever picture it being something bad. I don't think that Simeon was having to say no to something bad. He was probably saying no to something good because God had something better in store for him. And I think we run into this every day. If you think about your lives, parents, you think about your lives running with younger children or middle-aged children. Adults, what I have learned as my kids are getting ready to launch, as I talk to you who've launched your kids, you still have, it's not like things get easier, I've learned through the years. You still stress and worry about them and care for them. And, and so it doesn't always end there. But as you think about your calendar, think about the choices that you have to make day in and day out with work, with kids' events, with sporting events, with family time, with vacation time, with personal time, with workout time. You take your pick. Everything I'm mentioning here, there's nothing wrong or evil about these things. But if you're not careful, those things can so overcrowd your calendar, you don't have time for God. I bet if some of us were Simeon and God said, I want you to go to temple, we would have said, you know what, I can at seven, but not right now. Or maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I'm booked solid, God. Simeon's calendar is open before God. So here's my question for you. Who has control of your calendar? As 2020 is about to hit, who's running your calendar? It may not be anyone or anything that's bad, but it may not be God. For Simeon, one thing is clear. And it's this, God is running his calendar. This year, as we close out 2019, as we close out this decade, I want to encourage you over the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, to think about this question, who in 2020 is running your calendar? I also want you to think about this question, how can you seek the Messiah more? In 2020, 
These two questions are very much linked. Let's think about Simeon. He's holding baby Jesus here in verse 29, and he says, I, I, I can depart in peace now. He says, I can die now. Really wrap your mind around what Simeon is saying here. He's come face to face with the Messiah, and he's not thinking, oh man, that's pretty sweet. Let me, let me Instagram it. Let me tweet it. Oh, wow, that's cool, the Messiah. Hey, here you go, Mary. I actually got a 3.30 tea time I got to get to. The boys are waiting for me. I got a Zumba class I got to run to, man. That was cool. Catch you later, right? He, he doesn't have any of that. Instead, he, he sees the Messiah, and he says, God, I've been longing to see you more. I've been desiring to be with you more. And now that I see you, I can rest. In fact, you can bring me home. I can die right now if you want to take me home because I've seen you and you're all I've been after and my life is complete and I'm ready. How badly do you long to see the face of God more in your life? How, and I'm going to use this word intentionally, how consumed are you with the things of God. That word carries a lot of baggage in the 2010s, at least in ministry circles, as, as we talk about consumer societies and consumer churches. How consumed are you with the things of God? When I was in college, my life was consumed with baseball. It's many years ago. Many pounds ago, I was a speed guy. Yeah, let that sink in. Warning, if you play sports and you eat a lot, this is what happens when you stop playing sports and you keep eating. There's your public service announcement, athletes in the room. My life was consumed with baseball. I was at school on academic scholarship. I understood the importance of education. My parents instilled that in me and my three brothers from a very early age, but my life was consumed with baseball. I have a wife who I was dating at the time who through God's mercy and grace let her stick around through those years because my life was not consumed with her. But by God's grace, I have three children, been married 20 plus years. And she would tell you, if she's now like, that that was not first in his life during that time. And I would say to my shame, neither was God. My life was consumed with baseball. What time I took my classes depended on practice schedules. When I took my hard classes depended on being in season or out of season. When I ate, what I ate, how much I ate, when I went to sleep, how long I slept, when I had to get up. All of it was dictated by my baseball schedule. My life was consumed with it. It was dictated by it. It was very unhealthy. God had to break me of that. So here's my question for you. Fill in the blank, what consumes you that you're centering everything around your life right now? We do it more than we realize, and it may not be something that's bad. It just may not be what's best that God has in store for you. Right now, your life might be consumed with being a parent, with advancing in your job, with paying off your home, with saving up for that vacation, which saving up for that new exercise equipment or that new car or that new fill-in-the-blank. There's nothing bad about these things. But if we're not careful, we may pursue them with a reckless abandon 
where we are consumed by them and not by God. Simeon was consumed with wanting to see the face of God. My life is complete, verse 29. I've seen the salvation of God, verse 30, 31. The salvation that's for all the people, uh, verse 32. And Joseph and Mary are amazed. And Simeon says to Mary, listen, his kingdom's going to cause conflict with many people, including your own, and you're not going to get it, and she doesn't until the end. And even then, I would argue it took her a while to get it. And Simeon fades from the scene, and we never see him again. One whose calendar was owned by God because he was consumed with wanting to see more of God. 2020 is about to hit. Is your calendar going to be consumed by the things of God or by something else? As he fades to the background, a woman named Anna moves to the foreground. This is a woman who moves for God on a daily basis. And that's a question, we, again, all three of these questions are really interchangeable and, and pretty much asking you the same thing in a different way. How am I going to let God move me so I may live for him on a daily basis in 2020? We look at Anna in chapter 2, verse 36. Here's what we know about Anna. Again, we don't know much about her other than she's an older woman, she loves God, and she's been a widow for a long time. Bible says she's 84, and that translation is kind of a, a funky translation. It either means she was 84 years old, or she's been widowed for 84 years. Now, she could be widowed for 84 years, because again, in that culture, women got married young. If you get her married around 12 or 13, not uncommon. Married for seven years, her husband dies, that puts her about 19, 20. If she's a widow for about 84 years, that could put her about 103, 104. That's not out of the realm of possibility. So reality is this woman is somewhere between 84 and 104 years old. And she was married seven years, and then widowed anywhere from 50 to 60 to 80 years. So life has not turned out the way she probably envisioned it. it to stick with our baseball metaphors, we could say life threw her a bit of a curveball, right? Married seven years, husband dies, we're not told how, we're not told why. God takes her husband, how does she process it? It moves her toward God. Look at this passage. Verse 37, As a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, but worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, coming up the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is a godly woman who is basically living at church. God takes her husband. Life hasn't turned out the way she'd hoped, the way she'd planned. And yet we see her living for God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, a life that is devoted to her, to God over a lifetime, and he doesn't have a chance encounter here. It's not like they just bumped into each other at the gas station. The temple's a pretty good edifice, it's a pretty big sized building, and it's not small, and they don't just happen to cross paths. God has been arranging these encounters all throughout Luke chapter 1 and 2 for his glory. And in this point, he takes Anna's perseverance in the Lord and puts her face to face with the Messiah. And I use that word perseverance. It's a steady persistence when things get difficult or disappointing. Anna was persevering in her life, living for God on a daily basis, even though it didn't turn out the way she was hoping. 
For some of you, you know all too well life has not gone as planned. For others, you are looking forward to a future that is, that is idealistic, that will probably not turn out the way you're hoping. Life won't go as you have planned it. There's going to be pain. There's going to be joy. There's going to be surprises. There's going to be disappointments. There'll be job offers that may pass you by. There may be unexpected deaths from loved ones that you weren't anticipating at that time. You may have loved ones who make poor choices. People may wound or hurt you. And where will that drive you? It drove Anna right into the arms of God. Brothers and sisters, we kind of close out here. 2019 comes to an end, and some of you are maybe going, yes. New year, new decade. New opportunities. Where's God going to be in all this for you? I would encourage you to take the next couple of weeks to spend some time intentionally thinking about your calendar, to intentionally thinking about what you're saying yes to. God, what do I need to rearrange? What do I need to say no to? Not because it's a bad thing, but because it's not the best thing. So I can say yes to more of you. Psalm 90, verse 10 through 12 is Moses saying, our years are like 70, or even by the reason of strength, 80. Teach us to number our days. I had a professor years ago who took this literally. And so this is what he did. I was going to open with this, but I was worried too many of you would be doing math and I'd have lost you for the rest of the day. Okay? Now, if you don't like math, you're going to hate this, but if you like math, you're going to have fun with this. Teach me to number my days, 365 days in a year. But as my professor said... 365.25, don't cheat yourself out of the leap year God has given you this year, right? So he was always adamant, 0.25. So I, I took some time this past week to look up life expectancy. I'm just shy of 44. What is the life expectancy for a U.S. male born in the 1970s who's in his mid-40s right now? It said 77.8. I rounded up to 78 because I like clean math. All right? You want to find a life expectancy chart? They're not hard online. Just Google it. 365.25 times 78. That meant, based on that, my life expectancy, I have 28,489.5 days in my life. I guess I'm dying at noon. I don't know. <laughs> From there, he took his age and multiplied it by 365.25. I'm 43, did that, then took all the days that I added up this year because I'm not quite 44. That came to 16,050. Then he took the days that were numbered and he subtracted them from his current age. I did that this week. As of today, based on that math, I have 12,439.5 days. I'm dying at noon. <laughs> now, if I do, that's going to be really weird, kids, isn't it? Dad said he was going to die at noon. It seems like a weird exercise, but this is what my professor did. He actually did this and made a calendar with a number beside his bed each night. And each night he tore it off to show he had one less day. He took this literally because he wanted to be always reminded, he wanted us as students to be reminded, our days are not infinite. And it was a daily reminder that his days were numbered. He wasn't guaranteed them. And he wanted to be making sure he was living for the best he could for the Lord. So he had this calendar next to his bedside every day. So I did the math. I've got 12,439.5 days left based on 
averages. Not guaranteed them. Here was the interesting thing for me this week, though. The last time I did this exercise, I had more days on the plus side than I do now. And it was even a sober reminder of, of, Matt, your days are numbered. How are you going to make the most of them for God? Brothers and sisters, 2020 is upon us. And we want to make the most of our days for God. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed how many we're going to have. Even Anna gives us a wonderful, beautiful picture of a woman in her older years who's still loving the Lord and seeking after him. Don't let age get in the way of thinking through this. Parents, as you're thinking and holding your younger ones and trying to shush them, those days aren't going on forever. It seems like just yesterday I was a little one in my grandma's lap. Now I'm watching little ones in my aging parents' lap. And before I know it, there'll be little ones in my lap. It's just the reality of the world. How are you going to use those days with those little ones that you have in your home to glorify God? Because they're not going to go on forever. I want to encourage you to make 2020 not just a year, but a decade and a time to transition and think through how God can have more of your calendar. There's a couple of resources we're going to throw on the screen behind me that maybe you want to think more about this. A couple of the books that, that I've read, a couple of the recommendations from staff. Uh, one is a book called Margin. You can find it on Amazon by Richard Swenson. It's a book on how to restore balance in a life that is just overrun and running kind of out of control where you feel like, I don't have time for anything between work and family. I once talked with a young man whose life was just the time. He didn't have enough time to do anything. He felt like he was shortchanging everybody. And as we talked, I said, you know what, man? You need to read the book Margin. He said, oh, I got that book. I started it. I don't have time to finish it. I thought, dude, because I grew up in the 80s, I thought, dude, that right there should tell you you got a problem. You can't finish the book on how to have more time. Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. Uh, smaller version of margin. If you've spent any time with me uh, in talking about time and family, I often use terms like cheating time or stealing time or borrowing time. And, and really, Choosing to Cheat talks about how you can think through more creative ways to use your time. I don't work a traditional nine to five days, so I look for ways that I can cheat or steal time with my family that doesn't work for people who do have a nine to five job. It's just things you have to kind of think about, and it just allows you to think through, how do I use my time more honoring to God? A couple books I have not read, but others have recommended, The Best Yes by Lisa DeKirst, which is, again, how do we say no to the things that are good to say yes to the better things God has in store? When You Need to Set Boundaries by Jen Allen, or, and this is online, you guys have done this in the past, My One Word by Mike Ashcraft, where we think about one word that you can be focusing on in 2020 and the new year to help you grow. Maybe your one word is, it's not one word, but two, time management. Whatever tool you may use, here's the reality as we close out and the band comes on out. We hope that this next year and this next decade is time that you have to honor and glorify God, that you will use those days in a way that brings glory to him so that when those days that are numbered that Moses talks about begin to dwindle, you won't look back and say, man, I wasted it, God. And if you're at that point right now, you feel like, God, I've wasted a lot of days. Make today the day that you start to rethink your priorities for his honor 
in his glory, in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together and worship you and celebrate you during this Christmas season, during this Advent season, during this New Year season. Lord, we thank you for opportunity we've had to, to worship you on Sunday mornings and our Christmas Eve Eve service, even this morning with all of our life kids in here, Lord. Thank you for the noise and the rustle. Thank you for the, the little ones that are squirming, Lord. We, we thank you that we have opportunity to impact these young lives for your kingdom. Lord, I, I pray for our parents of young ones and our parents of teens. Lord, been there and am there. So many different poles by society and culture, Lord, that we want to make sure we're honoring, glorifying you, that we are setting the tone in our homes. Lord, I think of our, our, our families here who, who are empty nesting, or, or maybe you're single, Lord, and think, how do, we, how do we use our time? Lord, may they take time over the next couple of weeks to analyze their lives, to analyze their calendars, and to have the courage and the boldness to say, God, this is yours. And whatever changes you need to make, give me the courage to say yes and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So like Simeon, we can praise and glorify you in those moments where we see your face. We pray all this in your son's glorious name. Amen.